Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello. Welcome to episode 18 of the podcast. Today I will talk with my friend Bethany Jennings. Uh, We have labeled this uh, mental health and the church. Um, I think this is a topic that we really need to talk about. And I think it has been talked about a lot more in the last couple of years. Um, We'll hear from Bethany about studying uh, psychology in college as an apostolic. We'll talk about um, how the church can help uh, someone who is struggling with anything in that mental health topic area, you know. Um, But also we'll hear what do we do if we're struggling with it and um, and we've taken it to prayer and all that stuff, but how do we cope and what do we what do we need to do if we are struggling? So I hope that you will just soak up her words today and what she has to offer. She has so much knowledge and um, both practical and um, educational. She's she's just great. But I actually want to share something with you. I want to share about a time that I dealt with some of this stuff. You know, um, there's several people in my family that deal with depression and anxiety and it's something that I've been around my whole life. I know I know what it looks like and all that. Um, but in, in me, when I think of those things, the people that were close to me that have dealt with these things um, aren't in the church. And so they don't have the Holy Ghost. And so I think I had this misconception that um, with the Holy Ghost, I wouldn't deal with these things. And you know, there was a time that I did though. So when Ezra was a baby, he was six months old, five, six months old. And oh, he was getting right up to six months old. And I didn't even realize what was happening. So now looking back, I can totally see that I probably most likely did have uh, postpartum anxiety. I had it really bad actually. Well, with Abby, I didn't, and that was my next baby, but with Ezra, I did, but I didn't recognize it, so I didn't even know to ask for help, and I think I just, I blamed it on so many different things, but after a baby, your hormones are all over the place, you have this new stress, uh, everything is different. Our life um, was rapidly changing, and, and so all these things were environmental, you know, so so here I am, I'm, I have a five-month-old baby, and at night, this is what it would be. At night, I would be, you know, more prone, more likely to get aggravated, um, short-tempered, those kind of things, things that weren't in my nature during the day. And I would blame that on lack of sleep, which I wasn't getting enough sleep. At night, I wouldn't be able to go to bed. I would lay there and the heaviness that was on my chest was so strong. It was so much that I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I would cry. I mean, I would try not to say anything. Probably for weeks, I would just be like, what in the world? I would pray. I'd say, God, what's going on? Is there something wrong with me? You know, like, uh, what am I, what am I doing? Is there a door open somewhere that I'm letting something in? You know, you think of all these things and all the different sources. And then I, I just, I finally was like, I can't do this by myself. 
and I, I reached out to Taylor at night, you know, I'd be laying there and I'd feel that heaviness so strong. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I would just say, Taylor, I need you to pray for me because I'm serious. I feel like I can't breathe not realizing that this was like an anxiety attack, you know? And so he would, he'd reach over and he'd pray for me and he'd put his hand when he prayed, you know, like right on that spot that was real heavy. And uh, something about that, kind of that weight there helped me. Um, You know, some people use weighted blankets for anxiety, supposed to help. That's kind of like what that was for me. I didn't even realize, I didn't even realize it like that, but it's what it was. That little bit of pressure just like felt like I could breathe, you know? And he would pray and we would play. And David, actually, Bethany, the one that I'm interviewing, her husband, David, has this um, instrumental CD and, and we would play it. It's piano. And when we would play it and just like I needed peace so bad, and I was praying. And I was so weak, though, in those moments that I couldn't really pray like I needed to pray, but Taylor would pray, and we'd play that CD, and finally I'd go to sleep, you know, and it was like night after night, and it was in December towards the end of the month, and uh, I was so tired of dealing with this, but it was over and over and over. I didn't really know what to do about it, <laughs> but just to say, God, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's from. I don't know what's going on. And so I was dealing with it bad and we're still, you know, going and doing revivals, all these places and all this stuff. But we got to a revival and it was a watch night service. This was in Oklahoma City. Uh, we did a couple of New Year's arrivals there, but it was the first one we went to. And this one, we went and as soon as we got there, I guess we got there a little late, but as soon as we got there, it was time for foot washing. And um, I washed Sister McDonald's feet and then she washed my you know, and and it was just powerful, and our ladies were praying, crying, and all that stuff. But um, I just kept thinking, like, man, like this heaviness—it's so much. It's like all I could think of. You know, I couldn't hardly even get prayers out that night when trying to pray for her because I just—it's all I could think of. And we got in there. So after foot washing, we went in the church and we were taking communion. And I'm holding the bread and I'm holding the the juice, you know, and I'm like thinking. I can't do this, you know, um, if we're about to start this revival and we're about to be here, we were going to be there for a couple of weeks. And I just knew God wanted to do so much. And he did. It was so powerful. I knew he wanted to do a lot. And I just said, before I took it, I said, God, I cannot do this. I cannot handle this. I want this to be effective. You know, I want to be effective for you. And I can't carry this and also have anything to give in this revival. That's how I felt because it was so all-consuming because I didn't understand it. And I couldn't really pinpoint it. I didn't know that it was postpartum and all that stuff. And so I said, God, I cannot do this. And I just said, I need you to lift this off of me tonight. And we're taking that communion and we're holding it. And right before we take it, he asked us to pray. And that's when I'm praying this. And I'm telling you, as soon as I said, God, I need you to lift this off, like tonight, right now, God lifted it off of me. And the weight that I had been carrying was so heavy that it took my breath away when God lifted it off. I know that's like kind of crazy, but I'm telling you, I felt it as God lifted it off of me. And for me, it was that simple. It was that simple. It was lifted and it was gone. But also, that's not the first time I'd ever dealt with anxiety. And so through the years, even in Living for God, I have had just this tendency to lean toward anxiousness. And so for me, what I do is um, I guard, you know, maybe who I'm talking to, uh, not who I say hello to, but who I have close friendships with. Um, another thing that has helped me is 
just when anxious thoughts come, uh, is speaking scripture. I'll post a few a few scriptures that I will speak to myself and speak over myself in the notes of this episode. And of course, um, I go to God, right? We've talked about it before that that scripture that it's in first Peter chapter five, and this is just like line after line of what the church should do and um, how to make it, you know, how do we make it? So first Peter chapter five and verse seven in the King James says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Another version says, casting all your worries on him because he cares for you. Another version says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Another version, the Amplified, I read this in a different um, in a different episode, I think towards the very beginning, it says it like this, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. So for me, and for you, I mean, that scripture, that's the word. It was given to us for a reason. So giving those cares, giving those worries, giving those thoughts that come in your mind, you know, giving those things to God, even in that moment, it can be so simple and so quick and so easy. And when you make it like a lifestyle, when you make it a habit, I have noticed that I don't deal with the anxiousness as much. Um, My friend Morgan that I I interviewed last week, she talked about how, I think she talked about it in a a different episode when I interviewed her about when she did the younger self letter thing, you know, Uh, she talked about how anxiety was a lot less when she would journal, when she would do those journal prayers and write her thoughts out and her worries and her concerns and all that. So that's just, that's my first, my first step. My first step is pouring my heart out to God. My first step is, okay, God, you, you can handle this because I believe that God is a healer and he is a healer of all things. And he wants to touch us. He wants to heal us in the Bible all throughout. He didn't just do physical healings. He did emotional healings and healed spirits and and he delivered and all of those things. So he can do all of it. And it doesn't matter what our need is when we come to him and we bring it to him, he can do it and he wants to do it. I know for some of us, anxiety or depression or whatever you deal with goes a lot deeper than just just your day-to-day, just what's going on currently in your life. And so I wanted my friend Bethany to come and share, I guess, some of the science behind it and, and what she's learned in some of those psychology classes that she took. So we'll go ahead and get started today. I'm here with my friend Bethany Jennings. We are actually at her house and it's so cozy. And um, we're just getting to spend some time today. We're going to talk about mental health in the church, how it affects us, and you know what what we can do, kind of to help or um, to process these things as they come. Bethany, will you just say hello and introduce yourself? Hello, I am Bethany Jennings. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy we're talking about stuff that matters. So I just want you to talk about. Um, basically why I asked you to do the interview. I want you to just talk about your schooling, um, some of the college classes that you took, and some of what you learned in them. Okay, so I don't know. I've kind of always had this neon sign on my forehead that said, talk to me, <laughs> and uh, which is kind of funny because I'm a bit of an introvert, 
But um, I knew in the sixth grade that I wanted to study psychology. I didn't really know what it was called at that point, but I knew that I wanted to help people with that. Uh, there was actually a student in my class that I was helping through some stuff that he was dealing with at that time, and the teacher would just say, okay, go you know, go talk to him, help him get it figured out. Wow. And, um, and I was a part of a program called um, Peer Mediation, and it was, I don't know that they would ever do this now, but it was as a program where if there was a conflict with students, they had the choice. And, it, you know, it came to a, like it needed to be a behavior corrected. They had the choice to either talk with a peer and get it sorted or go to the principal and it went on their record. That's cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a really cool program. And so there were times like we'd be in class and then they'd say, can you send this Bethany White, please? Because, you know, it was white back then. Yeah. And so I'd go down and I'd talk to these people and we'd get it sorted out and we'd mediate the situation. And so, like, that was, for me, that was the, oh, so, like, this can, like, be an official thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, so I knew in sixth grade that's what I wanted to do, that and accounting. And it was, it was ministry-based. I knew that's what the church needed because people didn't talk about the things that needed to be talked about all the time. And... Pastors are really busy with souls, not money. And so I just, I knew growing up in a pastor's home, those were things that were needed. Um, So I planned to get my psychology degree after my accounting degree, uh, but God spoke very directly to me at a Texas HYC. Um, It was the last one that Michael Enzi preached before going to GYD. And he just said, counseling now. And I was like, well, okay. (laughs) So it, I don't know, there were some pieces to that puzzle, and I ended up double majoring in accounting and psychology. I think what I liked the most about psychology was I liked putting the technical terms to things that I'd already been doing and using and seeing. And it was kind of like confirmations of, oh, yeah, that is, okay, yeah, that was right. (laughs) It was kind of cool to hear, like, the actual terms for it all. Um, I don't know, I've, you know, in Proverbs, it talks about that wisdom builds a house, but knowledge is what fills the rooms with treasure. And I had been building this house, you know, with God's help. I'd been cultivating this vessel for him. And then it was just like he was making the, the way for me to put knowledge into the rooms. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that you run into when you study psychology as a Christian is this very generalized assumption that anyone who studies that stuff, you know, quote unquote that stuff, goes off the deep end, right? right? And to that I say, yeah, it does get pretty deep because, you know, I was, it does get pretty deep, but I was rooted in my spiritual beliefs and what I knew to be true in God. I got to experience so many confirmations while in those classes. It wasn't like, oh, this explains away your experience. You cannot, you cannot explain away what you feel. You cannot, you know, like you can't deny what you feel. You know the mm-hmm. saying, um, seeing is believing, mm-hmm. but the other part of that is like feeling is knowing or something. I don't know. You get that part out. I can't remember all of it, but it was like, I just read it last night and I was like, what? There's more to that statement? Yeah. Anyways. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> it's like experiencing is knowing or something. Um, so often the experiences we have as Pentecostals are dismissed by, you know, quote unquote, intellectuals. Right. Um, using arguments that they surmise by reading a thesis or a case study. But you can't deny miracles happening in front of you. 
you can't deny lives being completely altered and changed by God. So hearing those arguments and letting it build my resolve in what I know to be God moving is it was really powerful. The field of psychology has terminology for things that we experience literally every service. They just don't know what it really is. Right. And by they, I mean intellectuals who don't have a, an experience with God. Right. So that was part of my favorite <laughs> stuff about psychology is the confirmations cool. it gave. Yeah. So whereas some people, maybe if they weren't rooted in truth, you know, rooted in what they believe and maybe are looking for other answers and they go in those classes where they can say, okay, this explains it away or this name something different for you it, right it actually right. confirmed and that's yeah cool. it was that's really cool I wanted to know about it because I know people that they've gone into those classes and because it is such deep thinking that they're like oh well I don't yeah. need all of the other you know right it's it's it becomes an excuse to not be engaged spiritually right. where for me it was look at all of this engagement I have spiritually and I know beyond these terms, what this feels like. Right. So it was really cool. So um, I I wanted to know, uh, with you taking the classes and um, that new knowledge that you gained in college, what do you think are, or what do you know? Because you can see it. (laughs) I've heard you say before that when you have even like friends sometimes that you can identify certain you know, issues or, or situations or um, health, mental health things yeah. in them just by being friends with them, um, just from observing. So not really what do you think are mental health things that plague the church, but uh, what do you know? What do you see that are things that we as a church deal with um, yeah. in this arena? So for the record, I do see things and friends and acquaintances, but I don't talk about it with them. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's the line. Like, that's the number one rule. You don't, quote, unquote, like, diagnose friends. <laughs> like, it may come up in a conversation, but I'm not going to be like, hey, this is what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And it is a fine line between, like, having, I, I don't know, like spiritual discernment or feeling like God's really telling you something for that person and it being like, oh, this is an analysis. Right? <laughs> so, so I'm like, Lord, I'm going to need you to check me. And sometimes I'll straight up tell him, like, I'm not blaming this on God, but <laughs> this is what I'm observing. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of times it, when someone's experiencing a mental health issue, and it, it can be an issue for a lot of people, right. I think we use a lot of catchphrases that are common in the church, like, oh, you just need to pray through it. Right. And we all need to pray through it. We should be doing that every day. But you need to know what you're praying through. Right. You know, somebody comes to the altar and just balls and squalls every service but never really addresses the issue, no matter what the issue is, yeah. then they're not praying through it. So you need to identify what you're praying through, what is causing whatever this, these symptoms are. We struggle with mental disorders for the same reason and I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, they're str- they, oh, they got mental problems. They got, right. it's like a stigma. But we struggle with mental disorders as Christians for the same reason Christians get cancer. Right. For the same reasons Christians have heart attacks um, or diabetes. Many people assume depression is just like, oh, it's just a state of mind. It's just a mood. But there's a lot of biology that comes into play with right. depression and anxiety. Um, depression, uh, those are like, 
Pray against the spirit of depression, yes. That I mean, the spirit of anxiety, yes. But you need to know what you're warring against, right? Right. Our mental status is constantly affected by both nature and nurture, and I might nerd out a little bit, but go ahead. So, <laughs> nature being this is what you were born with biologically. This by nature you are. Right. Nurture is you were raised to be, right? You were shown how, or you were taught how. Um, with a disorder becoming, with mental disorders becoming more and more common or prevalent it's not really becoming more common it's been there i think it's just being noticed being, yeah we just uh, didn't talk pointed yeah something. we just didn't talk about it right. or we didn't we called it something else or mm-hmm. oh she's just got the blues or she's just she's feeling down or she's no or but, people didn't talk about it right they dealt with it for years and didn't say a word but now it's like okay, right we need to address these things so it's becoming more prevalent not mm-hmm. necessarily more common Therefore, more studies have been done. So, but no matter the opinion, scientists cannot argue the fact that depression is genetically influenced. Right. So, a lot of times when doing case studies, scientists will use identical twins. Again, I'm, I'm nerding out here. They'll use identical twins to eliminate some variance in the study, right? So, studies of identical twins would be like, we're trying to eliminate any kind of uh, nature variable, like, because they're so genetically similar. Right. And so, studies of identical twins revealed that... Um, more cases of depression within families, right? Even if there were environmental differences, it was within a family. So there is a specific chromosome that is affected if it's a genetic source. Um, That's a long way around saying that depression can be a genetic predisposition, like diabetes or cancer. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said... That doesn't mean that you completely cut out the environmental possibilities. Like, yeah, I may be genetically predisposed to have lung cancer, but I'm going to be even more likely to have lung cancer if I'm smoking all the time. Right. Right? So lung cancer may be a genetic predisposition, but the environment you put your lungs in contributes to that. You smoke, you increase your likelihood of getting cancer. Likewise, if you're constantly experiencing traumatic or emotionally tumultuous events in life, you increase the likelihood of experiencing anxiety or depression. Right. Environment is over half of major depressive cases. So while genetics is definitely a possibility mm-hmm. for a lot of people, environment still makes up for over half of it. Yeah, it's good. Genetics and environment may all play a role in it. It may be, in, the, in the one person's case, it could be genetics and its environment. Right. You're right. It's never just, oh, it's just genetics, or oh, it's just environment. Oh, it's just hormonal. No, there's... Right. There are options, right? And they all play hand in hand. But removing yourself from a harmful situation isn't always as easy as it seems. And it affects people that you love when you remove yourself from situations. And it may, maybe it's a child that's living in a home with a parent who experiences depression. They can't just remove themselves from that home. Right. And a lot of times, children will begin to mimic depressive behaviors of a caregiver. And they, that just becomes their norm. Whether they, whether they are genetically predisposed to depression or not, or anxiety or not, they begin to mimic those behaviors because they're taught that's what is normal. Normal. That's, like, yeah. that's, that's just their family norm. Uh, you could also, I mean, I don't think anyone chooses to be abused. Right. I don't think anyone chooses to go through violent situations that cause PTSD. So you can't really remove yourself from that. Right. So... There are just as many, if not more, cases related to non-genetic depression and hormonal. So, like, depression can be genetically 
based, it can be environmentally based, it can be hormonal based. And so I think knowing what we're dealing with is very, very helpful. So what are we fighting against? Right. Is this a quote-unquote spirit of depression? Yeah, you may be experiencing some spiritual warfare. But also, you need to understand that this could be a genetic thing. I don't think people get cancer out of spiritual warfare. I don't think that people have diabetes out of spiritual warfare. There is a genetic side to this. Right. There's a bio side to this, right? It's not just spiritual. It can be biological. Does that make sense? No, I'm so glad you shared that. I was... Uh, when I was driving over here for the second time, I forgot my charger the first time for the laptop. So when I was driving the second time, I thought, I need to ask her. And I didn't want to throw a question on you at the last minute, but you just asked, you answered it. I wanted to ask you what you thought about, um, you know, depression and different things being genetic, partially genetic, mm-hmm. you know, um, because of things in my family. And so I wanted to ask that. So you answered it. But no, everything you said makes perfect sense so in in addressing and being able to pinpoint you know that we have a need to look and and really see okay if we do have these problems where are they coming from if the individual does their part how can the church help you know as a whole how can we help when we see someone you know struggling or with with certain problems or, or whatever in this area how can the church help i think one major contribution the church can help is working towards destigmatizing the terms depression and anxiety right and the treatment options like oh you know she goes and talks to the head doctor yeah. oh you know he's got to be on like don't be like that about it you wouldn't be like oh you you know they go to md anderson yeah, like exactly de- like this is a <laughs> this could be a biological thing this mm-hmm. could be like it's i don't know anybody that's like i would like to volunteer to be depressed please Like, nobody wants to be in that situation. So destigmatizing those terms of depression, anxiety. You know, Scripture says be anxious for nothing. And and a lot of times it is we're not giving those cares to God. We're not letting Him handle it. Yes. But again, anxiety, just like depression, it can be hormonal. It can be genetic. It can be... So just don't don't make those bad terms, you know? Yeah. Don't make depression and anxiety a four-letter word when it's not. Right. There, it's it's deeper than you think. Don't trivialize something just because you don't understand it. Another thing the church can do is place the same gravity of prayer and care on those suffering with depression and anxiety as those that were suffering with a more obvious issue, a more obvious ailment. I mean, you wouldn't tell a diabetic, oh, quit being dramatic when they yeah. don't eat sugar. Yeah. You know, like you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't tell somebody, oh, quit being dramatic as they grab their chest and <laughs> double over, right. you know? So you, you shouldn't tell someone that knows their limits, knows what environmentally they can handle, oh, quit being dramatic when they remove themselves from a, like, consistently, repetitively harmful situation. Yeah. Like, that's a decision they have to make for themselves. And I think a lot of times that comes from us, us being uncomfortable Oh, quit being dramatic. Oh, quit, you're doing the most. Quit being extra. Quit. It's because other people are uncomfortable. And I don't, I mean, if you are using the term depression to be a, a manipulator, shame on you. But I don't think a lot of people are doing that. Yeah, you know, maybe it's just like my perspective of people. I think most people are just sincere. I think most people, when they have a problem, it's not for attention. It's not for, you yeah. know, any of those things. It's just, 
they have a problem and maybe they're actually just willing to talk about it. So I don't, I'd like to take that perspective of, right. no, they're just genuine and, and they just do have an issue. It's right. not like, you know. But when, well, when somebody that doesn't actually know what's going on, yeah. but really likes to appear as if they know what's going on all the time, gets really ugly toward, like, that's, I don't know, like, check yourself before you start, you know, check the log in your eye before you start talking about splinters and other people's. Think before you speak. Yeah, that. Cindy <laughs> says it much nicer than I do. Probably um, most things. <laughs> yes, most things. But hey, at least mine was biblical, okay? Yes, amen. <laughs> Praise him. So, okay, and I can't, oh, there's the other part. I can't tell you what to do, what to believe, what to think is okay. That's not my job. But if you believe it's okay to take medicine for a physical ailment, cancer, diabetes, headache, hormone replacement, etc., Consider that the effects of depression can be chemically treated. The chemistry of the brain doesn't actually change. Like, does, that's not the cause of depression. In a, in a study, if they're studying, you know, humans with depression, if it was a serotonin deficiency that was, quote-unquote, causing this, then everyone in the study would have a serotonin deficiency. Right. And that's, that, that study hasn't come to light yet. Like, that's not the case Right. In any depression study. So the chemistry of the brain may not change, but you may be able to treat some symptoms of depression by adjusting what's going on in the brain. Mm-hmm. So um, you also have to consider changing hormones um, in specific stages of development for males and females. You know, there's right. as you go into puberty, there's a lot of hormonal changes as you um, when you have a baby. Right. There are major hormonal changes. When you get married, there's hormonal changes. When you, um, premenopausal women, there's major right. hormonal changes. For men, as they get older, yes. know, there's also changes there too. So. Yes, there's lots of, and those hormones affect things, right? That's not just, you're fighting a spur of depression. Yeah, maybe you do need to pray every day that God helps you deal and carry and bear the burden of whatever you're going through. But you also need to be aware that, this could be medicinal. Like, this could be a medical concern here and check right. into that. Um, I'm always a meds last person. Like, right. I've never been like, oh, you got a problem? You should probably take some meds. Right. Like, whether it's a headache or whatever. I'm a meds last person, but if you've exhausted your options and you've tried everything non-medicinal, you need to use the wisdom God gave you and the knowledge that he has given doctors right. um, to help you in that specific field. Like, again, wisdom builds it. Knowledge fills the rooms with treasure. So let them use their knowledge that they've gained to help you. Yeah. So destigmatize the terms and consider it with serious. It's not trivial, you know. Right, it's a big thing. Consider it with gravity, for sure. So we talked about what the church can do to help, um, but as if there's someone listening that they're struggling with anxiety or depression um what's your advice to them um first of all you're not alone yeah um worldwide it's believed that five women like one in five women is has experienced or struggles with depression yeah and one in ten men i think a lot of times we're like oh the woman's depressed because a lot of times we're a little more open with our emotions and what we're feeling and experiencing but there are a lot of men who do it that do struggle with depression and it will present itself in different ways, which is I'm sure another podcast, but the way it presents itself is different for everyone. But there are, you know, with men, it is usually a very more subtle 
much more subtle presentation. Right. Um, you're not alone, and you need to know your options for treatment. Obviously, start with prayer, then consider removing stressors. Like, if that environment is making me not comfortable, if that environment causes me mental stress, like to the point that I can't sleep, that I can't function for my family unit, then you might need to remove yourself from that. Um, another thing you can consider is talk therapy, which is going to a therapist. Yeah. Because they have the knowledge and they have the tools to help you through um, adjusting your behaviors. Because you're not responsible for anybody else's behaviors. You're responsible for your own behaviors. And so helping you recognize, okay, this is what I start to do when I experience depression. And so recognizing your behaviors. And again, within what you and your spiritual leadership believe is appropriate, you need to, you know, exhaust all your options. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, and finally, and this may seem a little, I don't know, a little like harsh truth again, <laughs> but, um, offer the ignorant, the compassion you want them to offer you. Cause a lot of times what we come up against when we, when we deal with people who are, uh, brash or abrasive or dismissive is it is ignorance. They just don't know. Right. And it's, maybe it's not that they're trying to be a jerk. Maybe they just don't know how serious something is. They don't understand. They are ignorant to the facts. And so, and I'm not being like, oh, you're ignorant. You know, like, I'm not, <laughs> this is one of my dad's yeah. favorite terms. Oh, they're ignorant. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, he has many favorite terms. Yes, there's, very, there's a lot of bishopisms. Um, but treat them with the same compassion you would like to receive. You know, that's a part of do unto others. Show them how to treat you. Right? When someone's ugly to you, you're not, you don't be ugly back. Just show them how they're supposed to treat you. And that's with everything, not just with (laughs) mental disorders. But, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. I don't really have anything else to add today, but I just want to say thank you, Bethany, for agreeing to talk about this with me and um, making some of your knowledge and what you've learned available to those who are listening um i think to the listener some things to take away from today if you do feel anxious you're not alone if you've ever dealt with depression um you're not the only one um but also that we don't have to stay there and that there is help and it's best to talk to somebody. You know, don't hold it all in. Don't hold it all to yourself. Of course, take it to prayer and allow God to touch the situation and, and to help you. But also, you know, go to a leader, go to someone that you trust and let's figure out how to help. You know, um, I think the biggest thing for me in the past has been learning how to cope. I am prone to anxious thoughts and, um, you know, if, I don't know, for me, sometimes it means that when I'm about to walk into a big crowd of people, which we evangelize, so it happens a lot, (laughs) um, I just, in the car, just, like, I just take a deep breath. I know that's so simple, but I just kind of like, okay, this is coming, but I can handle it, and I'm going to be okay, and I walk in, or uh, for me, that means that I know I'm prone to anxiety, so if, uh, if I have some downtime, 
I don't go and listen to a murder mystery podcast or anything like that. Um, those kind of things that bring suspense make me anxious. And um, I mean, duh, right? Um, but I mean, a lot of these things are common sense sometimes on how to cope. But um, more than any of that, that it's okay to talk to somebody. And I want you to know that I have been doing some research and searching around for some apostolic counseling um, resources. And so I will put that in the episode notes um, on this. So if you do need a resource, if you do need someone to talk to, um, you know, of course, okay it with if you're a teenager with your parents, you know, or um, talk to your leaders and see what they think about it. But I do want you to know that that resource is available and it will be in the notes section of this episode. I hope that you learned a lot today. I hope that you gained some kind of knowledge and that this was helpful for you. Uh, Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time.